the primary results are in. What does it tell us about this fall and midterm elections? Let's get the inside story. Good morning and welcome to Inside Story. We've put our fascinators away. The royal wedding is over. Now we're ready to be fascinated by politics. Let's introduce you to our panel this morning. We'll start with FNN pollster Terry Madonna. Good morning. Good morning Documentarian Tim. Sam Katz. Hi, Tim. Attorney and nonprofit exec George Burrell. Good morning, Tim. And a new friend for me, Liz Priate Havey, a GOP state official. Let's get into this race. And Terry, I'm going to start with you. We are through the primary. We've seen some things. Does it foretell some things we should be looking at for the general or is it a whole new ball game now? Yeah, well primaries always produce in a sense a new ball game depending on who got nominated but make no mistake about it this is an election that is largely going to be at virtually every every level a referendum on President Trump. Historically midterm elections are referendas anyway uh, go back and by the way not good for the president's party you go back to the Civil War the average loss for the president's party in Congress is 32 seats. If you go back to World War II and come forward, if the president's job performance is under 50%, the average loss in the first term is 36 seats. So at virtually every level, Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot. And right now, the Democrats are slightly favored to do better, but that's been decreasing as President Trump's job performance has increased. Well, I was going to say, is that with some political old hands at the table, is that good for Democrats? Because people often say, you see a lot of the analysis that says, just running against Trump isn't enough. You've got to have something yeah. you're for, something that brings people out. Is saying just Trump is bad going to be enough for Democrats in the fall? Successful Democratic candidates like Connor Lamb, uh, the fellow who lost in Georgia in the special election and got close, have not made Trump the centerpiece of their campaign. They have talked about local issues. Uh, they have hugged the center, in some cases maybe moved a little bit right of center. Uh, there's some differences, though, in this congressional election for southeastern Pennsylvania. The redistricting of seats unique to Bucks, Chester, Montgomery, and mm -hmm. Delaware counties, uh, three of the which went for Hillary Clinton in 2016 augur for an outcome that will significantly re revamp the Pennsylvania congressional delegation. Let's take a look at some of the results here, starting with Lieutenant Governor. Uh, Stack became the first sitting Lieutenant Governor to get kicked off the ticket, beaten by everybody else. John Fetterman will now be on the ticket with Governor Wolf. What does it tell us? Because we were always told that nobody pays attention to this office and incumbency has power, and he couldn't hold on to it. Well, he had a lot of issues. He was not, uh, to many people, a likable person, and he didn't treat people with respect that, that worked for him, and that was widely in the news, and the governor didn't like him, so I'm not surprised that he lost. I um, think you're going to see a big difference between Jeff Bartos and, and Mr. Fetterman. I have to admit that I am the chairperson of Jeff Bartos's campaign, statewide mm -hmm. campaign. Uh, but Jeff is really a smart, <clears throat> articulate, calm, reasoned person. And if they have a debate, they'll be, um, I, I'm quite sure that Jeff will win that. Um, but of course, you know, it's also tied to the governor. They run together, so they're not running separately. Let's they're very talk different about, people. <clears throat> let's talk about being tied to the governor. To, to your point, Sam, Fetterman is very progressive. Bernie Sanders endorsed him. Is that good for Wolf? If the point now is to try to be a little bit more moderate, maybe get some independence, having this running mate who's seen as being very left, is it good for him? 
I've heard from people say, who said they want to put the picture of the bearded Tom Wolfe next to the bearded <laughs> John Fetterman. Uh, Fetterman's a very smart guy. I wouldn't underestimate his brains. I wouldn't underestimate his vision. But he's, a, he's an eccentric in the way we expect politicians to look. Uh, Tom Wolfe is low-key. Scott Wagner is not. I think this is going to be a bruising uh, governor's race. Uh, I think uh, Liz's point is really the one that is most important. You can't treat the people who work for you in your home badly hmm. and expect people, common people, average people, regular people, to feel good about you. And I think Mike Stack destroyed his political career in that, that episode. Yeah. And, and I, I think there are two or three things. Number one, I think in this, in this election, you didn't see as much political organization as you typically do. Mm -hmm. I think Mike Stack was relying upon a much higher turnout in, in the city of Philadelphia. I think the governor, though, regardless of what you think about Fetterman, wins by subtraction. I think he's better off running uh, with Fetterman than he is running with Stack. Stack was clearly going to be uh, an issue in the campaign. But I think that there is also, it's important for Democrats to understand, typically people campaign to voters. Democrats have to persuade people who are not voting to vote if they are going to win. They must increase turnout in the African-American community. One thing Fetterman does bring is he brings a constituency that's loyal to him. So he, he, yeah. he can bring some voters who may not otherwise get turned on by, by Tom Wolf himself. This is a yeah, sit, look pretty, and say very little job. He's <laughs> had a high profile. Is he going to like this job if he gets it? Uh, I don't know that he'll like the job. Lieutenant Governor. But I, but I think he's yeah. going to enjoy becoming a statewide he, visible personality. He is going to do something that Governor Wolf needs, and that is to excite the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party, to mm -hmm. excite the progressive wing. And this, this dude is six foot eight, wears cargo shorts most of the time, and some kind of shirt that hangs out. He actually mm -hmm. said that he has a couple of suits. If, if he gets elected, I'm using the subjunctive if, he's going to have to go onto the floor of the state senate of Pennsylvania in a suit and tie or else he's gone. But he is, he, the, he will op certainly overshadow Tom Wolf in terms of personality as the campaign unfolds. But to go back to Liz's point, you get one vote. I don't know an election in modern history where the lieutenant governor elected the governor. True. You follow me? That's right. not a, That's, that's not, not happening. So that's let's, not happening. let's talk about Wolf be... versus Wagner. Okay. Two very, very wealthy men. The last governor's race, I think it was about $84 million that got spent. They say this one they will be spending even more money. Who has the edge here? They can both afford to put up a lot of ads, do a lot of things. Who's likely to triumph here at this point? However Trump is doing the week before the election <laughs> yeah. will dictate, in my yeah. mind, you know, there, there's a number 40% say that are going to vote Republican. There's a number 40% that are going to vote Democrat. The 20% are going to decide. Mm -hmm. And how sure. they move is going to be dictated by the mood at the time, which Donald Trump completely controls. But, but I think there's a pretty common view that Tom Wolf right now today is ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, right. in, in, that, in that if he can figure out how to, in my judgment, if he can figure out how to be tough but not mean, I, think, I don't think he wants to be get engaged in a mean campaign because that's not his personality and that's not why people like him. And I think he's got to build upon what he what he already has in store. Yeah. But I think that which, Scott which, has. I, I I think Scott does have a strong personality. He's the more time I spend with him and listen to him, the more I like him personally. You know, as we were talking about earlier, his employees love them, love him. He has he pays them more than the the minimum wage. 
Um, he's going into areas, and he already has started to do that across the state, particularly in Philadelphia, that most Republican candidates would never do. Hmm. Um, and, and his message is not going to be that you know typical conservative message. It's it, in you know it's going to be one that's more inclusive, I believe. Um, yeah. But Liz, he's got a question. He's got two different things. There's the Wagner that comes across as I'm Trumpier than Trump, who we right. saw him when he first right. came, when he first won. That's who he wanted to be against Mango. He kind of got outflanked on the right. He was the guy who said, I support more rights for the LGBTQ community. I think the and minimum, minimum wage, wage should go up. Right. Which guy's going to show up in this election? I, th I think that Scott's going to continue the way he has been. I mean, mm -hmm. I think the, the mainstream media has tried to paint him as Trump-esque because that's what they do. Um, for people like me who know him, they know he has some of those the positive qualities that Trump brings. He's a leader. He's he he's passionate. He gets people excited. I was there on election night. People are just so thrilled with him. Um, but you know, he's he's also can you know thoughtfully go through issues and um, make decisions that are you know people respect and regard. <coughs> so I, I that'll be an interesting I, I think debate between be him a serious and Walsh. The, the, bot the bottom line here is on fiscal matters, on the budget on things like property taxes and new taxes and on uh, pensions. He wants to start with zero-based budgeting. He's a rock-ribbed conservative. On a couple of these issues... But what's wrong with zero-based budgeting? Uh, I think uh, it's fantastic. Now, hold on. <laughs> I'm, I'm merely pointing out that he's, <laughs> he's, a, conser he's a conservative. <laughs> but make no mistake about it, he's not just Trump-like in terms of supporting Donald Trump. He's Trump-like in terms of his personality and style. You never know what he's going to say. You never know what he's going to do. And let's be honest about this. I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm just saying there is an unpredictable. Un you, you, you took the word right <laughs> out of my mouth. Speaking of, There's more predictable might be Barletta versus Casey. And if you think Wagner is kind of like Trump, Barletta even more so in terms of what he's uh, saying that he has to offer. How does that race shape up? The president already tweeting in support of Barletta. I would expect you will see him in the state stumping Absolutely. for him. Is that good for Barletta or not? And where does it stand for Casey, who's part of a political dynasty in this state? That's not going to be a close election. Uh, Bob Casey. Are you sure? Yeah, I would. I'm. I will bet this coffee cup. <laughs> That's my coffee. Oh, it's mug. yours. I'm sorry, but I. I would bet. Uh, I would bet anything. Lou Barletta is not a great candidate. Not that Bob Casey is a great candidate, but he's an institution, and Democrats are comfortable with Casey. They're, they know they've known that name for four or five decades. Bob Casey will enjoy an enormous amount of support from national Democrats who will feel aggrieved by virtue of what transpired in 2016. And this will not be a close election, in my opinion. Everybody agree with him? Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think he also, both in the Senate race and in the gubernatorial race, both of those candidates are identified with Trump. And that makes no oh. difference how much he <laughs> liked them personally. Who they are is defined by who they are on television. Mm -hmm. And both of them have identified themselves it's on television with Trump. Yeah, it's a, look. The bottom line here is Lou Barletta was really Trump before Trump was Trump on immigration when mm -hmm. he got into all these lawsuits when in he was Hazleton, mayor of Hazleton. Yeah. He co-chaired the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania and he was on the transition team. I looked and tried to find an issue difference between Lou Barletta and President Trump on one little matter of education, not little matter, but education funding. You want to, that will be one of the key national referenda on Donald Trump in this state. And I agree with Sam. I think Casey would be, at the start, the favorite to win. And we keep I being told. Uh, uh, one quick thing to add. You know, in the Southeast, right, 
Trump is not that popular, but in the rest of the state, he really is. And there are people in the rest of the state who have reached out to me who say, we love Barletta, we love Barletta. So there's, there is some excitement out there. You're right, he's running against an institution. Bob Casey's going to be very difficult to beat. I, I do think that the race that's the one to watch is the governor's race. In every, but that's poll, in every poll that has been done, public poll, Donald Trump's job performance in Pennsylvania is lower than his job performance is nationally. If there's one standard, though, in politics, that the popularity of a person is not transferable. So <laughs> it's we will just see. not transferable to We also have heard a lot of talk here in Pennsylvania about this being the year of the woman. We know at least oh. one of these seats will be going to a woman because it's going to be Scanlon versus Kim, both female. We saw a number of other women win, at least the primary, Madeline Dean, Christy Houlihan, who right. didn't have to run against anybody. What are we supposed to expect to see in the fall? Like just because you're running doesn't I'm mean that you win. You, probably in the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth congressional districts, they will go Democratic because of the uh, Pennsylvania remedial Supreme Court, the remedial map that, that redrew the boundary lines, as Sam pointed out earlier on. But here's, here's the key. Here's the key. In the last 25 years, there have only been four women elected to Congress, three of them succeeded their husbands in the entire history of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So we'll be seeing something only new if they seven, win. Only seven women have won seats in Congress. We're going to see at least three. What does it tell us that Scanlon won Delco? Richie Laser, he had Kenny, he had oh Johnny Doc. What does it tell us? Is this now a Delco seat? Forget it, Well, it South was Philly. a Delco seat, seat. and the yeah, idea that it more. wasn't going to be a Delco seat was only made possible by the number of Delaware County candidates, which of course ended up not being the fact. But this is a seminal moment for Philadelphia in, in Washington. We used to have three congressmen, and they had seniority. At one point, we had Chaka Fatah, Bob Brady. We now have the most junior delegation of two that we could possibly have. Philadelphia's influence in Washington on matters of appropriation and infrastructure and all the things that matter to the city have been so diminished in the last five or six years. The fight over Delaware County was a massive loss for the Democratic Party in Philadelphia, the Democratic machine, and the losses of Kilkenny in Northeast Philadelphia and a couple of other guys, not a good sign for the IBEW and John Doherty's influence. We saw a lot of incumbents. Long overdue, I would add. We saw a lot of incumbents in our last minute. Brendan Boyle, Brian Fitzpatrick, and Dwight Evans prevail in these redrawn districts. Does that tell us that incumbency, even in these changed circumstances, is still strong? Well, well, Dwight is, Inc is incumbent. Incumbency is strong. It, 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 look, no, I'm saying they won even though things the, got moved the, around. The point is, in, in Congress, name me an incumbent member of Congress who lost the seat. Remember, seven, seven of the 18 members of our delegation that aren't seeking re-election. Three already quit. Right. And the three seats we're talking about no incumbent. Pat Meehan is gone, Ryan Costello right. is gone, and, and there was no incumbent. No, there was no so Montgomery Are we sort of saying that maybe it will be two years from now when we really start to see what these new districts look like when people have well, had four more years time? years from now, they'll be different. So. Right, they'll yeah. be four years, exactly. and we'll lose a seat. We'll go from 18 to, 18 to 17. This is the largest number of resignations and retirements in modern history. Seven, one thing seven, I would add, one thing I would add about, about the congressional candidates, that Congressman Boyle, uh, Michelle Lawrence got 37% of the vote yeah. in that race. So there's yeah. a clearly, you know, something a, ground, cooking something, out there. a, a grounding for candidates. Lehigh County is going to be the, really the, the bellwether because that's, that was a race that Charlie, that's a seat that right. Charlie Den held. That yeah. a Democrat, I think that's Susan right. Wilde could win that yeah. seat. All right, well, right. we'll take a short break and come back to more on Inside Story.
Welcome back to Inside Story. So as we wrap up on politics and look at the bigger picture, any other big takeaways you think folks out there should take as we head towards the fall? I think My there was a, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Millennials. So polite. I think millennial, not, not that there was a big turnout of millennials, but there's a generation shift that's underway that is important. And it's not long overdue, but demographically it's time. Uh, I think you saw a lot of new candidates, Nina Ahmad for one, who did well, they didn't win. You know, learning about uh, politics partly is experiencing losing. I don't recommend it, but <laughs> it, it is part of the game. And yeah, yeah. if you learn from your mistakes, most people don't learn from their successes, they learn from their failures, I being the one exception. But the, uh, the idea that you go into a race, you have the courage to do it, especially in this environment. This is a brutally mm. difficult environment to run in. There was so much noise at the end of the election, all the TV ads. So you saw this whole new group of people who were running for committee people all over Philadelphia, who were running for legislature and, and Congress. And what's fascinating about this, the number of people who ran for office this year who didn't run for an office before. It's not as though mm -hmm. these were people who were heavily invested in the party system, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which, which you were invested in, right? Right, right, I am. But the, the surprise to me, and I was at the polls in the southeast part of the state, and I thought the Democratic turnout would be higher. So when you look at the, the, the uh, turnout across the state, 21% of Republicans turned out and about 8.4 of Democrats. 18.4, right. But I didn't expect that. I thought it would be, you know, you, you read the news and they say the blue wave's coming, the blue wave's coming. And um, I just, if you look at Philadelphia turnout too, is only 17%. You look at the gubernatorial years since 1990, that's one of the lowest. So, so I, we'll see I, if I it arrives in the, the fall yeah. or not. But 18% right. but of the Democrats looks like a wave compared to 21% of the Republicans when you just look at the numbers. But I think there is a certain inertia that was generated by the success of women that I'm not quite sure would have been true if it had not been as, as successful. I think it now it's clear that other women are going to get into the process and, and are going to stay engaged and involved. And that would be a good thing. I think so. Mm -hmm. All right. a lobotomy of uh, testosterone, which is probably a good thing for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about a case in Philadelphia that's getting a lot of attention in uh, criminal justice. We had the scene of the head of homicide in the, in the DA's office going to advocate for charges to be dropped against a man who had served 11 years and he, it was a blistering broadside against previous prosecutors saying they had evidence they should have turned over to the defense and that they didn't and that it had been a miscarriage of justice. And so now this man is free. George, this is part of a larger thing going on in Philadelphia. Krasner sort of bucking up against traditional criminal justice. What does that scene itself tell us about where things are and where we're going? I, I think two things are true. I think Krasner is to be applauded for wanting to transform the district attorney's office. I think people believe that that's necessary for a long period of time. And to the extent that people are in jail who shouldn't be there, mm -hmm. they should be proactive in trying to get them released. But I also think that he cannot do it on an island. I mean, that if you're going to transform criminal justice, you've got to be able to work with the judiciary. You've got to be able to work with the administration. You've got to be able to work with the police force. You've got to be able to work with the unions. Mm -hmm. And I think right now he is moving in the right direction, but moving by himself rather than trying to build a coalition around that effort. Is it a good thing? Because to the average person, if you raise the question that everything before was unfair, it makes it hard to trust that things are fair in general. Is that a good place to be? Was there a way for him to do this, but not to say the guys before me were dirty? 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, that's probably, you know, remember Krasner's kind of new to this process. He's not a politician. He's, he's so, he's so maybe in him, he may not have surrounded himself with people who professionally think about how important the words that you use are. I think, but I do think that where he wants to go is the right place to go and don't necessarily think he yet has figured out the strategy to get there. Sam, what is it, I mean, the, one of the previous prosecutors was sitting in the front row calling this whole thing nonsense as it came down. What does it mean that he may be firing up some of his adversaries, some of the previous people, as we move, there's going to be some case that bust open and is a fire spot. What does it mean that he will have these former prosecutors ready and waiting to come biting at him? I think George makes a really good point that uh, Krasner, who wants to deal with incarceration, wants to deal with probation, wants to deal with the way pro prosecutions are handled, needs to recognize that the criminal justice system is a big tent and there are a lot of players in it. The way that uh, Trump has been vilifying the Department of Justice, the FBI, in the long run these things undermine public's credibility in really important institutions and when Krasner makes past prosecutorial behavior a prominent issue in this DA's office, he puts at risk a lot of other appeals and a lot of other cases which may or may not deserve it. But if the DA is charging his predecessors with malfeasance, that is a bad thing to be doing. He should have released this person on the facts, not on the behavior, behavior. of other mm -hmm. people. If I was a defense attorney, I'd be coming through oh, every, every file, case. and if I saw either one of those two names, I'd be they challenging be. it. Yeah, they and, will be. And his relationship to the police is going to be stressed again yeah, that, by this. A and that's point. a really bad thing I mean, for look, him. Look, we, he has to support the, the folks who bring the cases be, before the courts, and he has to generally show support for the police. I'm not suggesting if there's wrongdoing, the support should be there, but you can't be at odds with past prosecutions willy-nilly and with the police in general. That's not helpful. If there's wrongdoing, straighten it up, then go after the wrongdoing. No, none of these institutions are perfect. Painting right. with a broad brush is a exactly. really dangerous thing. The problem right. is one but of I these days he'll be in the crosshairs. Well, I can broadly <laughs> say if I don't go to commercial, I'll be the one who's having trouble. We'll be right back. 6ABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Time now for our Insider's Inside Stories of the Week. Terry. You won't believe this one. 40 to 100 members of the Federal House of Representatives sleep in their offices on, on a fairly regular basis, basis, including the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. A bill has been introduced by a Mississippi member of Congress who says he wants to end that practice, that it costs too much, they get unfair advantages, and by the way, we'll give you a tax break if you're a member of Congress. And so a $1.3 trillion budget, and what are we talking about? Whether members of Congress can sleep in their offices or not. We see if they take this up. <laughs> Over Sam. the last couple of decades, uh, city ballots have contained charter changes, including several in this last election, something like 60 over the last three decades. But if you, if you try to promote the idea of a charter reform commission, nobody wants to hear about it. I think it's time for Philadelphia to look at the 21st century and ask the question, is this city government and this structure the right, for our, the right one for our future? All right, George. Uh, Nina Achmad and Michelle Lawrence both did reasonably well as first-time candidates. Both of them put significant amounts of their own money into their races. So if I were an at-large city council member, Thinking about what's going to happen in, in, in 2019, I'd wonder what they're going to do. Ah, interesting. Liz, last word. Um, so the internal polls of the Wagner-Bartos campaign have this race within five points. 
And they, the interesting thing is that 50% or more of the people that they have polled have said that they want to change the top of the ticket. So as we've been saying, you know, the polls are reflecting that this is going to be a real race between Wagner and Wolf. Okay, we'll see what happens. That's it for us. Thank you for joining us on Inside Story. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a good one.